Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the week two preview here at the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. I am not a professor. I'm Josh Cook here in the Second City getting ready to go back to Iowa City for the primetime game under the lights against Iowa State. But joining us on his very happy birthday, we got the coach, Corey. How's it going? That's right. Well, 33 years ago, I was born and... uh... I'm just celebrating. Uh, had a good steak dinner, some uh, an adult refreshment, and uh, I'm ready to go. So, uh, ready to get into this. We're, we're trying to get our uh, we're trying to get our first win under under the under our belt. So, it's going to be uh, it's going to be good. And the reason that we switched roles, the professor is currently in the middle of nowhere on his phone, hoping the battery lasts long enough. Matt, tell our listeners where the hell you are. Um, I am on a Crow Indian Reservation uh, somewhere in Montana. And I am coming to you from a nice little fly fishing trip here with a couple of buddies up uh, on the Bighorn River. Nice. That sounds very picturesque, but not quite as picturesque as all the beautiful college football stadiums that will be in action this Saturday and obviously Friday. And like we always do, we're going to start with our quick slants. So, uh, Coach, what's your first one? Well, well, uh, my first one is going to be really quick. It's going to be because I'm a homer. It's going to be the Georgia Nickel State game. Uh, Nick Chubb coming off a 32 carry, 220 yard performance, and uh, looking forward to it just to kind of see how the quarterback competition shakes out. Uh, they're still going to give Grayson Lambert some looks. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, Georgia coming off a huge win. We talked about it against North Carolina. So um, it'll be an interesting contest just to kind of see uh, some of the younger guys play, just to kind of see how the quarterback situation uh, shakes out. It's not a game that Georgia's going to have to worry about, but it is going to be one of those games, kind of like a, uh, a another test for Jacob Easton just to get him more comfortable for, with the offense before they face Missouri next week. Cool. Yeah, I think that's going to be. I think it's going to be a good one. I'm. I'm. I'm really curious to see. Like I've talked about a couple times on the podcast. I'm really curious to see if they're going to get the tight ends a little bit more involved in the passing game this week. I think yeah, against Nickel Stake, it's a good. It's, it's a good time to do it, especially with uh, the big freshman Isaac Nauta. Uh, you know that that kid has the potential to be a real game changer for them, and so I, I hope that they can get him a little bit more involved in the offense, get a little bit more balance. Obviously, Chubb and Sony Michael are one heck of a backfield combo, but Easton's going to need to open up the passing game a little bit to give them some uh, big holes to run through. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's just what you look for, just the offensive line to gel, Jacob Beeson to get some work, and Nick Chubb to get a few carries and get some of these younger backs, some, some game situations type stuff. Right on. Uh, my first quick slant's a little bit of a weird one, I think, for most of our listeners, and that is Oklahoma State. 
who shelled an FCS school 61-7 to and is ranked 22nd in the country, is hosting Central Michigan. The Chips also won their opener against an FCS school 49-3. to And what's intriguing for me is this was a tight ball game last year. Oklahoma State won at Central Michigan just 24-13. Uh, the Chips are a team that we all like. We think that they can compete in the best division in the MAC. And Okie State should win, and it wouldn't surprise me if they pull away in the second half. But I think this will be a game for at least the first half, maybe even three quarters, and it'll be interesting to see how uh, Oklahoma State can respond to some pressure. Uh, Matt, how about you? What's your first quick slant? Well, I just want to add a quick thing to that to that game. I think what's going to be really key for the Chips uh, is going to be to control the line of scrimmage, especially with their offensive line. Oklahoma State's defensive line is pretty young this year, and if they can keep, if they can get a ground and pound going, they can keep, um, you know, shorten up the game and keep that Oklahoma State air attack from really getting getting clicking and try to keep it close. But I'm I'm with you there, Josh. I really think that Oklahoma State's going to open up in the second half. But I'm expecting a very close score going to halftime, looking about like 17-14, something like that. So, but my first, my, my first and only quick slant this week is uh, I'm looking at the Wazoo Boise State game. Wazoo, obviously, um, for second year in a row, I do not know what is going on up in Pullman. But they just love to lose to FCS schools. Last year with Portland State, uh, this year it's Eastern Washington, and you know we all just love uh, the Pirate Mike Leach. He is the unofficial. Uh, coach of the Illegal Motion podcast, but you know we, we they got to turn it on this week, and especially get that defense going to stop Mark Rip and um, and that passing attack that they've got going at Boise State. Obviously, Boise not only with Rippon, but they have a very balanced both and passing, and it's going to be up to uh, uh, the Washington State defense, which has been um, a very up-and-down unit, and unfortunately for them, more down than up of late. But I expect to see uh, Luke Falk and the rest of those guys get going in the passing attack um, a little bit more this year, um, see if they can uh, open it up a little bit. But the game is going to be played in Boise. I'm expecting Boise to come out on top, but... I think that uh, Wazoo is going to show much more of a fight. They're going to play up to this team. Wazoo, I think, is a team, especially under Mike Leach, that really sort of either plays down or plays up depending on the opponent. Last week we saw that, obviously. But Boise State, you know, traditionally, at least for the last, you know, 15 years or so, has been one of the best um, non-Power 5 schools. And, you know, I don't – and so I think, you know, Wazoo definitely knows what they're going into in Boise and are going to have to, you know, be up for the game. And I think that they will be. But I'm expecting a really fun game in Boise and some real high-scoring game there. The interesting thing about Boise is their opening week, they played at Louisiana Lafayette and hammered the Raging Cajuns so bad that uh, Lafayette fired their defensive coordinator after the game. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, Coach, what's your second quick slant? Well, my second quick slant is going to be the Battle of Middle Tennessee. You have the Blue Raiders taking on the Vanderbilt Commodores. Commodores looking for their first win of the season. Um, they they lost a tough one to South Carolina in the season opener um, last Thursday. So they've had a lot of time to prepare for this matchup. But, you know, Middle Tennessee hung 55 up in there in their previous contest and uh you know they're they're looking they're coming in one and oh and they're they're looking they're looking forward to uh you know they're they're looking forward to uh to a good contest here and they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna give Vandy a, a pretty good run for their money. But Vandy uh what what Vandy's looking for right now is a quarterback. Uh, you know Kyle Sherman was eight of twenty two for seventy three yards. He's their leading passer. Um 
and they're looking That's for some offense in general. That is bad. And uh, it's not a good start for Andy Ludwig. He was looking to turn some things around. But defensively, you know, they're, they're strong as, as always. Um, you know, they didn't give up a whole lot of points to South Carolina. They just somehow found a way to lose that one, uh, mostly just because they couldn't find a quarterback that could function in this offense, and they just couldn't seem to move the ball, especially in critical situations. But um, their defense is going to be tested this week. Brent Stockstill is, is a uh, – for Conference USA is a – is a uh, you know he's a good he's a great quarterback you know he's he's going to be in the running for uh, conference player of the year I mean he he was uh, 30 of 36 last week 329 yards and five touchdowns and one interception so having himself a huge day there uh, their leading receiver uh, had eight catches 73 yards and a touchdown and their leading uh, rusher uh, was 15 carries for 83 yards so they're spreading it out a little bit and you know they're you know they scored like I said they scored 55 points a week ago. They had 681 yards of total offense, uh, 435 of it through the air, uh, 246 of it on the ground. So uh, they're, they're, they're moving the ball. So um, they're moving the ball. So it's going to be tough for the Vanderbilt defense there. But um, it'll be a good matchup. I think Middle Tennessee is going to play him competitively because of state pride. But I think Vanderbilt obviously is going to get their first win this week. If the Blue Raiders do win it, is there anything – that Mason, that coaching staff, can do to save their jobs. No, I, you lose to the uh, to the Conference USA in-state rival. I, I don't know. I don't know that he can recover from that. Maybe he can if he goes on a winning streak, but that'll be tough. That'll be tough. The fans will kind of sit on that one and go, "Well, we thought you could get it done, but I guess not." So, um, if they're going to do it, uh, Brent Stockstill is going to have to be under heavy and constant pressure, which I don't have any doubt that they will. Zach Cunningham is, you know one of the top top prospects in the in the SEC on defense uh, throughout the whole conference. So that's, you know, they got him on their side. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward – I'm kind of looking forward to it. Uh, it's, it's kind of a slow week, so this game will actually be better um, and stand out a little bit more because, because of that. Well, speaking about in-state uh, rivals, that's my second and final quick slant. The East Carolina Purple Pirates, they won their new coach's debut 52-7 over an FCS Western Carolina team, and now they host NC State, who also won their opener against an FCS team. Uh, this would be catastrophic for NC State. This is a team that we think can improve. But let's be honest, Dave Doran is 19-20 and in three seasons and a game, and he's just 6-18. and he cannot afford to lose this game. And as for our lovable Purple Pirates, they have a knack of knocking people off. Even last year, a 5-7 and seven team, they lost to Florida by just a touchdown in the swamp. And then two weeks later, came back and beat Virginia Tech right there in Greenville, North Carolina. This is never an easy team to play. And East Carolina has themselves a quarterback in the season opener, former Gopher QB Philip Nelson passed for 398 yards. The rushing game also got going. Uh, this is not going to be a game that the Wolfpack can sleepwalk through. Uh, definitely not. Nelson's name I haven't heard in a little while, but you know, I, I honestly I would take him over Leidner any day. But that's just me. I, I don't I don't understand the buzz on Leidner, but that's a different story for a different day. Um, yeah, but our you know our in, instead of doing my final quick stand, we're actually going to. Uh, uh, 
premiere, a new segment uh, here on Illegal Motion that we're calling the it's a trap. Game of the Week. <laughs> and uh, for us this week, that is going to be uh, the Louisville Cardinal coming off of a, a absolute demolished, demolishing performance, eight touchdowns um, by the quarterback. They are headed up to Syracuse to take on the reinvigorated Dino Baber squad. And I think this game, Carry Dome, is be a lot closer than people think. So, um, Josh, what's going to be the key for the the Orange to keep it close and maybe even pull up the upset over the the card uh, over the Cardinals? Well, I think you really said it in your opener that for whatever reason, Syracuse is one of the most, or yeah, Syracuse is one of the most Jekyll and Hyde teams. You look at what they did in the Carrier Dome a year ago. First of all, the, or all four of their wins were at home, but even some of their losing efforts took LSU down to the wire. They lost to Pittsburgh by a field goal. They lost by 10 to Clemson. And this has been a continuous thing that teams go up to upstate New York. And being a dome and trapping some of that sound, it gets a lot louder than people realize. And unlike last year's team, which was just riddled by injury, the orange are healthy. I Pretty confident Louisville will find a way to scratch out a victory, but we could see shades of App State, Tennessee, where it's just a battle down to the wire. Well, yeah, I mean, I I see it that way as well. I think what's dangerous about Syracuse is their their up-tempo type style of offense, and that could be a really good thing or it could be a really bad thing because if you're you're hot, if you're on fire – um, then it's a really good thing because you got them back on their heels and, and they can't really do much to stop you. But if you're not, then it's quick three and outs. You're not burning much time, and your defense is going to be out on the field very, for a very, very long time. Uh, Eric Dungy, 34-40 last week, 355 yards and two touchdowns. So uh, Dino Baber's success is already starting to kind of to take effect. Um, one of the comments that Bobby Petrino made this week, he said that we're going to have to hire uh, – we have to make some new game day hires and hire a slower um, chain crew. Um, what he brought into question was that he was concerned that, uh, that there should be a rule that you can't snap the ball until the chains are completely set, and Syracuse was snapping the ball sometimes before the chains were set. So uh, that, that's, that was one of the concerns there. Um, that just kind of speaks to how fast Syracuse moves and how good they are already at doing so. Um, but if you have Lamar Jackson, I think you're, uh, you know, you're going to do pretty good. Um, let's see. He was a he was a mere 17 of 23 for 286 yards, and uh, you know an average day of only six touchdowns through the air. Uh, and and to make things uh, a little bit more average, he he only had 11 carries that went for 119 yards and two touchdowns. So he accounted for eight touchdowns um, in the 70 points they scored last week. Um, so uh, as long as they got him behind center, you know he's a special kind of player that's going to make this offense go and and uh, Louisville has a chance to compete a little bit um, in this in this conference but you know they need to watch out because Syracuse the style of ball they play can really put them back on their heels and really can get them uh, in some uncomfortable positions especially uh, with a defensive coordinator that that can get kind of frantic at times uh, with what he calls so um, I'm looking forward to this game this game probably is going to be just by virtue of a slow week it's going to be a highlighted game but you know, Louisville better not sleep on this because, you know, they better they better come ready to play because this could be, uh, in your best Admiral Akbar voice, a trap game. <laughs> and uh, 
And so, uh, but I, I like what Syracuse is doing. I think they're going to be good here in the future. We'll see what they have against a, a, a top fifteen team in the country. Nice. Yeah, you know, I've been to my, you know, I've been to my share of games in the Carrier Dome, and you know, Josh, you mentioned a couple uh, a couple minutes ago that it can get loud in there, and there is a buzz about Syracuse football right now that I've not seen since the days of Donovan McNabb and Marvin Harrison. And, you know, they are th- – those folks in upstate New York are getting excited about Dino Babers and this offense. And if they get rolling in there, it is going to get loud. It is going to get rowdy. And they're going to be primed for an upset. So, you know, of, of all the games this weekend, this might be the one I'm most excited to watch just as, um, you know, a fan of the game because, you know, we, we could see some we could see some big points, big scores. And if they can contain uh, Lamar Jackson just a little bit, you know, we're going to see a close one going down to the wire. Definitely. Uh, so we're going to move on to our big game section. This is where we do a little bit more deeper uh, preview. And the first one we're going to do is uh, down there at Amon G. Carter Stadium, the Horned Frogs hosting Arkansas. And Razorback debut left a lot to be desired. The Brett Bielema rushing attack produced just 106 yards and 21 points in a one-point victory over Louisiana Tech. Coach, how in the world can the Razorbacks even think that they're going to be competitive in this one? Well, I mean, they're just going to have to trust their rushing attack. They're going to have to, you know, just do what they do. Uh, Both teams are just kind of underwhelming right now. So they just got to – defensively, they got to find an answer for Kenny Hill. I mean – it's it's weird that they lost and scored 59 points. But, uh, you know, Kenny Hill was 33 of 49 for 439 yards, two touchdowns and two picks. They're just going to have to find a way to disrupt him. And uh, they're going to have to find a way to to uh, to be able to run the ball uh, a little bit better. And they're just going to have to, you know, just come out ready to play. You know, hopefully they had a good crisp week of practice. I don't think it's time to, to, to panic on either team. I think both teams just came out. Uh, a little sluggish at the start of the season. So I don't know if I'm ready to press the panic button on either team uh, because we know what Arkansas can do on the ground. Um, They just got to get better and get more reps at it. Um, You know, unfortunately, this is going to be a tough test for them. Uh, This could get lopsided in a hurry because, wait, why why does one part of this say TCU is 0-1 and the other part says they're 1-0? So um, anyway. um, (laughs) I mean, yeah, they they did win, win, but their defense – Definitely. You know, you know what? You know. You know what? I, I was looking at my notes, and I and and I just realized that I wrote down their record against the spread. They're zero and one against the spread. Um, <laughs> but, uh, both teams. Both teams won. Um, but anyway, no, they're just going to have to find a way to, to run the ball better. Um, truth be told. Yeah, and, you know, and if they coach, don't, I, I, it's get lopsided. Coach, I, I want I want to jump off that point there because you know the key to this game, like you said, is going to be Arkansas running the ball and. Arkansas has a great offensive line. I don't think any of us doubt that. Our, you know, Brett Bielema produces linemen like it's his job. I mean, it is his job. Let's face it. But, you know, in TCU, you know, their defense was down a little bit last year. They're going to be better this year. But they don't have a lot of beef on the on their defensive line. And if those, and if those big old linemen can get to the second level, get some good blocks on, you know, TCU's linebackers, they're really – I think they'll be able to open it up a little bit. But – on the flip side, I am not. I'm not buying Arkansas's defense right now, and I think that T. I, I think that TCO will definitely be able to throw the ball on them. Um, our, you know, especially Arkansas's D backs have a lot leave a lot to be desired, I should say. And so, 
um, you know, if, if Arkansas, if Arkansas is, uh, if Arkansas is sort of stymied on the offensive front, I, it's going to be a long day for that defense. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, and what they have to do is they're going to have to just put their front seven, they're going to have to uh, get creative a little bit and they're going to have to pressure Kenny Hill. Um, they're going to have to get after him because if they, it, T- TCU, especially at home, if they score a couple of touchdowns early, this thing could get this thing could turn upside down really quick for Arkansas. And Arkansas is not equipped to to, to cut large deficits. So you know if they, if, if Arkansas is going to stand a chance to win this game, which um, I think they I think they do with all the uh, with all the size advantage that they have. But um, if they're going to use that to their advantage, they've got to control the clock. They've got to run the ball, um, and they've got to take. I would like them. I would like them to take Georgia's game plan from the North Carolina game into this game, and just really just focusing on pounding the rock, controlling the clock, and and just really just keeping the ball away from TCU. And that could be that could be their best defense, and that could give them the best chance to win. Um, and with TCU, uh, you know, again, just uh, find a way to disrupt the run game, find a way to just get a t- get a few touchdowns early and often. And maybe that'll be their best. That'll be their best defense. So both teams can play good defense through their offense. Uh, Arkansas with ball control, TCU with uh, you know quick touchdowns. Well, our next game is a uh, battle of opposing philosophies. Uh, the Cal Sturdy Golden Bears won their opener out in Australia against Hawaii. They gave up 31 points to a really bad team, but when you score half a hundred, it doesn't really matter. And San Diego State did it the opposite way. They hammered New Hampshire uh, with 31 points, but shut out the Wildcats as their defense already looks like it's in midseason form, holding them to 141 total yards. I don't care. That's that's an FCS school. That's pretty impressive. So, Perko, this is your state. Who uh, who wins this battle, of California team? Okay, so San Diego State's actually favored in this game, and I have to agree with that because I'm I foresee a lot of Donnell Pumphrey in the future for that Bears defense, and you know, I mean, we all know that with you know Davis Webb and the rest and the in that receiving core, and you know what that Cal team wants to do on offense, they're going to try to light it up, but. Um, you know, like we talked about with Arkansas, San Diego State's going to try to, you know, jam it down their throats. And I don't think that the Cal defense has, you know, I think they're going to get worn down, especially come third quarter, fourth quarter. I see a heavy dose of Pumphrey. And, you know, I, I, I'm expecting to see, you know, 40, 45 rushes from an Aztec team that has a great rushing attack. And I think that the way that Cal stays in this game, which is, you know, sounds so strange that, you know, a Pac-12 team, you know, would not be the favorite against a Mountain West team. But, you know, we talked about going into the season that we all are really, really high on San Diego State. We think this is, you know, probably the best team in the Mountain West, if not Boise State. But, you know, this is a – this San Diego State team can, can, could compete in the Pac-12, quite frankly. They are talented. They are deep. And they are powerful. They have they, – they've got it going. And, you know, what Cal's going to have to do is stack the box and make uh, make the Aztecs throw the ball on them. And, we you know, obviously New Hampshire did not test them. We didn't see them have to, you know, air it out at all against um, the Wildcats. But, but – and so if they do, you know, that's going to – that's – the key to the game for the Cal Golden Bears is to make 
San Diego State throw the ball and make them make first downs through the air. If, you know, and, you know, if they win, if they win doing it that way, that's fine. You know, Cal's, you know, just can tip their hat and say good day, but they cannot let that San Diego State rushing attack, um, you know, just eat up time on the clock and just eat up the yards. Yeah. I mean, Cal, for, for them to, to even have a chance, well, it's, it's odd to say for them to even have a chance, but, you know, for, for this game to go their way, because San Diego State's one of those group of five teams that plays and recruits like a power five school, um, they need to up the tempo. They need to get San Diego State involved in a shootout, in a back-and-forth type shootout uh, situation where San Diego State can't grind the clock and can't grind the tempo of the game down. If San Diego State is going to uh, dictate the the tempo of this game, they need to take care of the football. They need to play ball control. And they need to do what they do, which is run the ball with, uh, with pump free. So, um, you know, if, if Cal, it, it's going to go in Cal's favor. This, if this thing gets in a shootout, it's going to go in San Diego state's favor. If they're, if Cal allows them to dictate the pace with the, with the running game. So, um, you know, San Diego state, if they, they can have this game, if they go out and, and do that and, and really have success running the ball, if they have success running the ball, it's going to be a long night for Cal. Or actually, uh, it's going to be a short night, but it's not going to end uh, very favorably for, for the Golden Bears. So uh, for the Golden Bears, they just need, you know, Davis Webb needs to continue his 441-yard and four-touchdown pace, 38-54, um, score quickly, score early, score often, uh, get San Diego State back on their heels and force them again to uh, to throw the ball um, whether, and force them in a situation where they feel like they have to throw the ball and they can't and don't have time to run it because they have such such, such ground to make up. So, um, But the way you play defense on a team like San Diego State that's so good in the run game is that you do – you load up the box, you blitz, and, and, you, and you lock down uh, zero coverage out there um, on the perimeter and, and force them to beat you. And when they start beating you through the air, then you can back off a little bit and play, you know, more base defense. But until they do – until they prove that they can, um, which Chapman was 16 of 25. They don't really throw – throwing the ball is not really a big part of their philosophy. So um, they're going to have to kind of prove that against Cal, and Cal's going to have to go in there with that game plan. Well, I'll tell you what's scary if you're a Cal fan. <clears throat> and Hawaii, which just looked completely inept against Michigan, was really crisp against Cal. They were 8 of 14 on third, 234 passing yards. 248 rushing yards, a six-and-a-half-yard average when rushing the ball against this Cal defense. And really the, the difference maker and possibly why Cal avoided upset is the Rainbow Warriors had five turnovers. So that it doesn't look great for the Pac-12 team. But um, let's move on to the game. They're definitely not – and hold on, I just want to add one quick thing before we move on to the battle for Western Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, is that, you know, uh, you mentioned those five turnovers. San Diego State does not turn the ball over. You know, nope. they have, you know, they are, last year they had, you know, they had some of the, they had the I think uh, they, were, they were top five and fewest turnovers in the country last year. And I don't expect that to change at all. And, you know, Donald Pumphrey, for his, you know, as, as much as he runs the rock, he doesn't fumble either. You know, he is very secure in the ball. So they're, they're going to have to do something to force those turnovers. You know, you can do that against a, a Hawaii team that likes to, you know, sling it out a little bit, is a little, little looser. But San Diego State, that is not that team. They are almost a polar opposite of the Rainbow Warriors. So this is going to be, uh, this is going to be fun, um, but it could get, you know, if, if, uh, if San Diego State gets out to a 10-point you know, lead, they are just going to eat that clock all day. 
Yeah, you mentioned it, though, for our next game, and that is the... Oh, it feel like it doesn't. The return, 16-year hiatus of the Pitt-Penn State rivalry game. Both teams enter 1-0. Pitt had kind of a lackluster 28-7 win over FCS Villanova. Penn State had a 33-13, but pretty snoozy game themselves against Kent State. Hard to get a read from either of those openers, but uh, Coach, who who gets the battle of Western PA, do you think? Well, I, I think it goes to goes down to the running game. I think James Conner uh, had a had a huge moment when he scored his first touchdown coming back from cancer. A uh, really good story for the Pitt Panthers, um, and, and they're probably glad to have him back. Uh, for Pitt, Nate Peterman, 19 of 32, 175 yards. He's going to have to improve his percentage there. Um, they're just going to have to, you know, on offense, they're just going to have to go through the run game. They're just going to have to get better all around. Uh, it just didn't seem like that there's – you know, if you just judge based on the stats, and I didn't get a chance to watch this game because, uh, you know, it, it kind of got lost in the shuffle. But, you know, you just got You just look at these stats 19 of 32, 175 and two touchdowns, decent day, 17 carries, 53 yards and a touchdown, decent day, uh, rushing wise. They just got to get a little bit better uh, with that. And they're just going to have to, uh, you know, just keep doing what they do. Um, again, I don't, I don't know if it's time to panic. Uh, For both teams, it's not the start you necessarily wanted, but it is good experience. It is good to get that win under your belt and and learn some things that you you need to uh, with a win. So for Pitt, you know, defensively, I think if they can pressure uh, McSorley, uh, he was 16 of 31 for 209 and two touchdowns against uh, in in their first matchup against Kent State. Um, I, I think that they need to, if they're going to have some success, especially defensively, which Pat Narduzzi uh, knows a little, knows a, a couple things about defense. Maybe um, I, I think they, you know, he's going to he's going to come in with a game plan of let's let's pressure McSorley, let's let's throw all types of stunts at him, let's test this offensive line and see if they've improved from a year ago, and 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 if they can test him and and, and really just get McSorley running for his life. Um, we might be talking about on Monday a, a, a pit blowout, um, but I, you know what, Coach? I, I, I want to echo that yeah, that that sentiment right there. Um, you know, we all saw Narduzzi's defenses at Michigan State, and they had you know they weren't the most exotic. You know, they, they, he's not the most exotic you know schemer when it comes to blitzing and stuff like that. But they are always stout, and I don't think that um, they that the Penn State offensive line is going to be able to hold up against uh, the pressure that that Pitt is going to bring um, uh, off the edge, especially. And I, I think that I, I just want to call him Marty McSorley because, you know, I lo- love me some hockey, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that McSorley is going to be running for his life this whole game. And I, I, I quite frankly, I, I, you know, I don't believe in this Penn state team at all. I, I think that they are going to be lucky if they can finish fourth in the big 10 East. And I, I think that Pitt is going to win this game Handily, I, I, I see something like a you know a twenty-eight to ten victory or so. Mm. Okay, yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of see that same thing. I think Pitt's defense is going to get a few uh, turnovers, but it's always good when when you click on the, uh, the the game preview and and the you know every, every one of these game previews has a video that's associated with it, and the video thumbnail that's associated with this matchup is Dan Marino. Um, oh yeah, in the pocket. So uh, you know. 
you know it's uh, it's going to be an intriguing matchup, and you know they probably haven't played in a while. If, if that's your uh, that's your thumbnail image for your video, so but yeah, I mean I, I expect Pitt because Pitt's a much improved team. They're not the same Pitt that they've that they used to be, where they were just kind of like that mediocre team that would compete with you for about two and a half quarters and then just kind of shut it down. Um, you know, Narduzzi's done a tremendous job there. Um, they're competing in the ACC uh, for uh, you know for a trip to. Uh, Charlotte or Tampa or wherever it is they're playing this year for the for the championship game. So, you know, if they're gonna if they're gonna have a chance to compete, they've got to get a game like this. You know, you you play a team from the Big Ten. Big Ten is a really good conference this year, and, and they're not you know they're not the same Big Ten that they've always been, where where they get in these big matchups and choke with with other conferences. You know, they're they're a good conference, and Penn State's got some good competition. So. You know, they, Pitt's gonna Pitt's gonna come in and, and they're gonna have a good game plan and they're sixty two percent favorites um, as far as like how the you know how the, the, the matchup is you know predicted. You know, about sixty two percent of people picking them are picking Pitt, uh, and rightfully so because they're well coached. They do everything really well, um, and they're gonna have a good game plan here against Penn State. Penn State's offensive line is gonna be their downfall. The two things that would concern me if I'm a Lion fan, and we'll make it a trifecta. I've got Panthers winning this game, not as much as you, Perko, but uh, but I do have them winning. And what the Lion fans need to be worried about is Kent State is sort of a Mac version of Pitt. Kent had a lot of offensive issues a year ago, but had the best defense in the league. They're very similar to that, and it – Took Penn State a while to get going. They pulled away in the second half, but this was a 16-13 game at half. Also, it's in Heinz Field. Pitt fans are a little fair weather, but they'll show up for this one. And as we saw last year in that Temple game, Penn State is still the gold standard in Pennsylvania. It's going to be fired up to win this game. Oh yeah, I mean they they just got you know if I'm Pat Narduzzi, I'm just throwing on some of that Temple film from last year of the, of the Temple Penn State game, saying get after it, boys. Absolutely. Uh, so let's go to the next one, a yet another rivalry game that we're going to be talking about, and that is the one that I will be in attendance for, Iowa State, Iowa. I could wax poetically about this game for five hours, but I'll keep it really short. Uh, Iowa State only has 22 wins in the series. It's 22 to 40-some for Iowa, but they are actually 9-8 and eight against Kirk Ferentz. And the reason for it is Hayden Fry was all about winning the state. You win the state, you win the recruits. Hayden loved to do that, and he just hammered Iowa State. Kirk has always been a little bit more of a big-picture guy, cares about the Big Ten. And on the Iowa side of things, the rivalry – is kind of a one Saturday a year occurrence. For Iowa State fans, it's almost like a 365-day occurrence. However, I think the Hawkeyes have finally refocusing on caring about this game. They're doing the pinwheel in Kinnick under the lights, a 6.30 primetime game. Iowa's going to be fired up for it. Iowa's more talented. If they can find a way to contain... Mike Warren, who's one of the best halfbacks in the Big 12, Iowa should be able to win. It's a rivalry game. Wouldn't surprise me if it's close, but I think the Hawkeyes find a way to, to win it. 
Professor, where do you have this one going? Bueller. You there, Matt? I think we lost him. Oh, well, uh, then, also, Coach, how do you see this one going? Well, uh, I see it being a battle of running backs. Um, I, you know, when I think of this rivalry, I kind of, I kind of liken it to the Georgia Georgia Tech rivalry, where you know it, it seems very lopsided uh, to one team's favor, and one team usually cares about it uh, more than the other. Like Georgia kind of sees it as a yearly yearly deal, and Georgia Tech kind of sees it as a you know three hundred sixty five. Uh, a day deal, kind of like Iowa State. They're kind of like the little brother in the state. And, uh, you know, and it's really easy to kind of dismiss this rivalry until little brother starts beating you a little bit. And uh, and that's going to get them reinvigorated. So that's gotten Iowa kind of reinvigorated there. You know, they're focusing on that a little bit more now, now that uh, Matt Campbell's there, now that Iowa State's getting a little bit more attention. Um, but going away from that, going to the actual game, um, you know, Iowa – came out in their opener and looked pretty impressive. You know, they had uh, 424 yards of total offense, um, and they ran 20 fewer plays doing it. Um, and, and Miami had 404 yards, but, again, they, they ran 20 fewer plays. Um, they, uh, you know, they, they come in and they feature a good one-two punch at the running back position with uh, Akram Wadley. Wadley, did I say that right? Akram Wadley and LaShawn Daniels. I've heard it Akram Wadley, but Akram. I don't know. He's Akram. he's a bird, bro. He's the fastest Hawkeye we've had in a while. Well, the Southern in me Best says Hawkeye Akram. since uh, Tim Dwight, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so they, you know, that one-two punch kind of helped them get uh, a, a lot of yards there, and you know, I think they're going to feature feature those two guys, and and that's really all they're going to need to do. I mean, they they have a strong running game. They always have a strong running game. That's kind of what. Uh, Kurt Ferentz's MO is um, for the Hawkeyes. Um, I, I think that, you know, in our preview with Iowa State, we really liked the kind of season they were going to have. I think they're going to have to kind of rebound from being 0-2, uh, which is kind of – which was kind of expected going in. Uh, maybe uh, best case was was starting the season 1-1, and but, you know, 0-2, they can still recover from that. And, uh, and Iowa State's got a really good team, but I, I think that Iowa is playing some of their best football uh, – most recently, and they've kind of reinvigorated the program when Kirk Ferentz was kind of dead in the water there for a minute. Uh, they had a mat- they had a pretty amazing run last year. It looks like the momentum is still carrying over from that season. So uh, it's going to be a tough one for Iowa State. They're just going to have to kind of hang on, catch a few breaks when they can, try to run the ball, try to get some success on the ground, try to establish the run, um, and, and they're going to have to just kind of get what they can get hold on, hope their defense can, can play a little bit. You know, Iowa State comes in featuring all Big 12 running back Mike Warren. Um, he rushed for 1,300 yards a year ago. Uh, their quarterback, Joel Lanning, um, again, uh, comes in. He returns. So they're going to – they got some things going on offense, but I don't, I don't know if it's just, you know, I, I think this is just a, a, a bad matchup for the Cyclones. If they got them later in the season, maybe they'd have more of a chance. But I think Iowa's rushing attack is just going to be too much for them. Yeah, like you said, Coach, it's going to be a heavy dose of Akram Wadley um, at that Cyclone defense. It's I expect, Akram. you know, Akram Wadley, Akram Wadley, Akram, I don't you know, know. <laughs> what, whatever, whatever, whatever we're calling him, he's going to be waddling through some big old holes that are created by that, you know, absolutely fantastic Iowa offensive line. And, you know, so we're, we're going to see that, and I think some play-action pass off of that, especially you know Iowa loves tight ends. Uh, I expect C.J. Third to be hitting tight ends over the middle. Was, 
that third B. I'm calling him B third. I don't care. Um, but I, I, that third, that third and Wadley are are uh, you know I, I expect Bethard to be hitting uh, you know tight ends uh, on, through the seams that are going to open up because you know you know uh, Iowa State's going to have to commit eight guys to the box and so that really opens up um, some space for the tight ends and uh, you know I expect a comfortable victory. Um, in that, you know, in, in the uh, great state of Iowa rivalry for the Hawkeyes, it shouldn't be too tough of sledding, but, you know, it is a rivalry game and you never know. So, Josh, when you're there, I'm sure you'll be screaming your head off um, every time that, you know, Kirk calls a bad play. But uh, it, should, it should be uh, – it'll definitely be a fun one. It always is between these, these two teams. And, you know, but, you know – but you know, you know, Josh. I mean, you're going to the game. You're you're gonna have you're gonna have a blast. Um, so you know, I, I'm curious. You know, if you have any other thoughts to add to what the coach and I have said. I guess my last one is there's been some concern on some of my friends and on the the Iowa blogs and, and things like that talking about like, oh, you gave up 21 points to Iowa of Ohio, and I just wanted to, to point out that. When Josie Jewell got that very weird targeting call after one possession, his replacement is a true sophomore who had never played in a game before, who has a great name, by the way, Jack Hockaday. But by taking out the quarterback of the defense, Iowa just went to a base and really did no blitzing, just sat back and let Miami take the dink and dunk stuff. And by the time Miami figured out that they could hit Iowa with that, it was already a 21 nothing game. And the game was a blowout by halftime. So the 21 points and the yards that the Red Hawks got was a little deceiving. I still think this is one of the better Big Ten defenses. And uh, I don't think Iowa State has that passing attack that Miami did because Miami actually has a pretty decent quarterback. Billy Ball had some numbers last year. But that is enough homerism from me. Uh, Let's get to the Battle of Bristol, one of the more interesting games, not just because Tennessee suddenly has people fleeing the bandwagon. I am not one of them. And Virginia Tech is an improving team, new coaching staff, a little bit different look from them in week one. But the, the real curiosity about this game is being played at the Bristol Motor Speedway so let's kind of ignore the spectacle of it all. And, Coach, how does Tennessee reassert themselves against that Bud Foster defense? Well, they're going to have to find a way uh, to find some answers on the offensive line. Uh, that was a real big uh, weak spot for them a week ago against, uh, against Appalachian State. So hopefully, you know, with 10 days to prepare, they, they, they find some answers there um, because Bud Foster is going to have a great game plan of how to get after Josh Dobbs. So, they're going to have to find some answers up front on both sides of the ball, really. But uh, since we're since you asked me specific, specifically about the, the volunteer offense, they're going to have to find, you know, answers. You know, they, they got talent all around the board. They got Josh Malone, Jawan Jennings, uh, Josh Smith, Jalen Hurd, Josh Dobbs, and uh, you know, for for them to have all those weapons um, in the skill positions, they've got to have better protection for Josh Dobbs, and they've got to have better run blocking. For, for Jalen Hurd so they can kind of set up, you know, what they do. So we're going to see, really, if that Appalachian State game was kind of a fluke, if it was just 
um, Appalachian State's better than everybody thought or uh, whatever the case may be, Tennessee has a chance to kind of further solidify their identity either as a contender or a pretender here. Now, uh, just like Josh said, I'm not ready to hit the panic button, although, you know, as an as a SEC East competitor and a, and a Georgia guy myself, um, I try to be as objective as I can, and, and, and I will be, and I still think this Tennessee team is very good, and they still have a lot of football left to play. So um, I, don't, I don't think it's time to panic because they did uh, pull out a win. So they, hopefully they learned some lessons there. But, you know, you know it, they, they've got to figure out some things um, up front. Because if they get pushed around at all this week up front, it's going to be a long, long game for them. Uh, and then they're just going to kind of – the spectacle is just going to kind of take them over. Um, and, and again, with, with this being a new, a new deal, uh, 150,000 fans at the Bristol Motor Speedway, it's, it's a new deal. So uh, the element of the spectacle is there, especially for Tennessee since they're the home team technically. Um, and, and, and most of the fans there are going to be in support of the volunteers – they're going to have to kind of get through the emotions of this spectacle. They're just going to have to kind of settle in and play football like it's like it's a normal home game or like it's a normal normal game in general. So um, if they can get past all that mentally, which sometimes I wonder if they can, uh, because I think Butch Jones is 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 a type of guy that can get caught up in all that stuff. Um, they've got to figure some stuff out. So. Um, if they can get some answers, I think their I think their main concerns offensive line. Everything else will kind of take care of itself from there. Yeah, I, I'm going to keep it real brief here, um, Coach. One of the guys you mentioned, Jawan Jennings. He's the guy I'm, I want to see big things out of because you know he's a big receiver, and you know Tennessee's got a couple of big receivers, and Virginia Tech has some very talented D backs, but none of them are really that tall. And so I think one of the keys to the game is going to be Josh. Josh have to throw it Josh off. Malone's a good guy too. I mean, he's a big guy too. Oh, he's a big guy too. I'm saying they, they got to, you know, between Malone and Jennings, they've got some big receivers. And so just is going to have, yeah, you know, he's got to throw it up and let his receivers go get it. Cause you know, those Virginia Tech D-backs, they're good, but they're all about five, nine. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're, the Tennessee receivers are going to have a big size advantage on them. And that's where I see sort of the real difference being made against Bud Foster. Um, you know, we know they're going to come with some nice blitzes, get some quarterback pressure. But if, you know, if he can, you know, if Josh Dobbs can get the ball out, get in the hands of these big receivers, I can see them getting some big chunks of yardage um, and, you know, and, and moving the ball. You're right. The offensive line still has a, a lot of stuff to work on. So I don't know how much um, Jalen Hurd. I mean, obviously they're going to get a healthy dose of Jalen Hurd, but I don't know how, how much of a factor he's going to be because Virginia Tech is always tight against the run. But it's that, um, it's the passing attack that I really want to see sort of come alive to see if this volunteer team can really sort of circle the wagons and get things going again. And they, and they very well could. And I, I think it's one of those games where, um, you know, they're going to have to because, because of what Virginia Tech brings in the run game or in, in, in run defense. They're going to have to try to establish the run through the pass. And if they can loosen them up a little bit through the pass, loosen up some of those run lanes, they will have some success. And just to recap about Virginia Tech's debut, it was kind of an interesting one. They beat Liberty 36-13, moved the ball very, very effectively, 458 yards Stuffed Liberty all day, but uh, four turnovers by the Hokies kind of kept uh, the game a little bit more interesting. I I still, like I said, I trust Tennessee too much. I think that learning Fuente's new system is all well and good against Liberty, but this is going to be 
Power Five athletes, I think Tennessee finds a way to, to lock this thing down. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think in the end they win. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I do. And quite frankly, I think Tennessee wins by two scores. Um, I, I yeah, it's it's not going to be as close as that App State game was. No. Uh, the the last game we're doing a deep route on is another rivalry. Lo and behold, it's strange to have this many in-state rivalries in week one, but BYU, Road Warriors, they found a way to win at Arizona, heads to Utah. Utah's defense looked like they were in midseason form already as they posted a shutout. In their Holy Warriors! Yeah. Yeah, Utes and Cougars. Who gets, who gets the better of this one, Virgo? Um, I, I am going with the Utes and you mentioned it because of that defense. I think that, you know, BYU runs a little hot and cold and they look good against Arizona, but they weren't convincing to me, but that Utah defense last week was something else. They are, they are already in stride and they are going to make it, um, you know, they're going to make it to hell for, um, you know, Taysom Hill, Tanner Magnum, who's ever taking snaps back there. Um, they are, you know, it's going to be real, real tough sledding for, for BYU on offense. And I think that Utah can do just enough when they have the ball, um, to, you know, to get by, uh, BYU's defense. And so I, I like the Utes. I, I like the Utes by about 24, 17. All right. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll keep it brief because, uh, because Matt kind of just, uh, said that beautifully. So. I'm going to say, you know, Utah is just going to kind of have to do what they do, pound the rock, play good defense, and, and try to figure out a way to uh, to slow down those quarterbacks because BYU's offense is going to go through the quarterback uh, position. Uh, Taysom Hill again, 21 to 29 for 202 yards. Um, again, uh, and they had good rushing stats in, in, in their first game uh, – with uh, Williams had 29 carries for 162 yards. But anytime you look at this BYU team, um, really it goes through their two quarterback system there, um, no matter how, how they slice it and dice it. So um, if you slow down the quarterback, make BYU one dimensional, I think Utah's going to come away with this. And I, I think they're good enough, talented enough, especially in their front seven, to do that. So um, I, like, I like Utah in a very close contest. Well, I guess I might be the minority opinion because BYU's offense shredded Arizona. If you just looked at the yards and time of possession and everything, you'd assume that BYU put up 30-some points and won it going away. The 18 points is a little bit of a head-scratcher. I'm not quite sure how they were held to such few points. But um, I think BYU might pull, pull one out. We sometimes see the Cougars win when we least expect them, and it feels like one of those games where – everyone feels like the Utes are going to win at home. Yeah, I mean, it's a rival game, so you never know. All yeah, right. Definitely, definitely. You know, I, I think the key there is going to be third downs for them. I think that's why, you know, I think that's why BYU struggled a little bit last week. I don't – their third down conversion percentage wasn't that great. I don't have the stats on top of my head, but if, uh, I remember looking back on the game that they really weren't great trying to convert third downs. You know, and against Utah, that's going to be even tougher. That's a good point. That is a good point. Third down is the most important down. Uh, now it's time for our spread formations. These are where we uh, give a little quick hit about uh, a game based on the spread. And the first one is Arizona State hosting Texas Tech. And the Sparky, surprisingly, is a two-and-a-half-point favorite 
And based on my surprise that Arizona State is favorite of this game, I think we know where I'm going. So I will say Texas Tech covers by way of winning the game. How about you, Coach? Yeah, I, I agree too. Pat Mahomes, um, or Pat Mahomes, um, <laughs> for those of you keeping score at home, um, yeah, almost 500 yards uh, passing, uh, albeit against uh, Stephen F. Austin. But you know, I, I think that Texas Tech is going to finally hit their groove, and the Bluetooths are going to come out um, not victorious in this one. Um, I like Texas Tech to cover, and 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 then a little bit more. Oh yeah, give, give me give me the give me the fighting Kingsburys all day. This is the beginning of the end for Todd for Todd Graham's squad. Um, if he's not, he, the only reason that Todd Graham wouldn't be fired at the end of the year is because he bolts for somewhere else first. Yes. Harsh. All right. Uh, so the next one is actually one that I campaigned to be put in. So we made a late substitution. Coach, sorry about that. The email you got, I think, might have been. Not updated, and that is Cincinnati. The Bearcats travel to West Lafayette and are road favorites by six and a half points at a Big Ten team. So, I don't whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, Josh, Josh, yeah. Josh. Calling Purdue a Big Ten team might be a little bit of bigger of a stretch. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, where do you see this one going, Matt Perko? Um, you know what? Um, I like Cincinnati to win, but Purdue to cover. Um, I've, I've got Cincinnati winning by a field goal. I think that Purdue might be, uh, surprisingly frisky in this game. I don't know why. It's just sort of a feeling I've got in my gut. Uh, Tuberville, you know, I, I think that, you know, this, this might be, this might be more of a task for Tuberville squad than we anticipate. So um, I've got uh, I've got the the Bearcats winning thirty one twenty eight. So I've got Cincinnati win, but Purdue to cover. I'm gonna go against the grain, uh, even though you said Purdue to cover. Even though you're picking Purdue to cover, I think they cover. Um, but I think they cover with a victory um, because Tommy Ooh. Tuberville um, kind of does this kind of thing. Um, I think Purdue um, had a really good rushing attack last week. Uh, I think they get this one at home, uh, and they kind of just. At least just try not to go. Uh, they try to get another one before they get their run of Big Ten losses. So I like Purdue uh, not only to cover, but I think they're going to come out victorious as well. So the reason I wanted this one thrown in is by not seeing a minute of the game and just the score. I was blown away that the Tennessee Martin Skyhawks hung around Cincinnati as much as they did. But then once I saw the stats, I realized why. The Skyhawks played a great possession-oriented game. They held the ball for over 37 minutes. So so I'm going to say Purdue can't replicate that. Uh, I'm not going to buy into them looking a little bit better against Eastern Kentucky than they have in the past. Until I see Purdue do something right, I'm going to go with the Bearcats to cover. Oddly enough, Josh, Josh, that's probably the smart pick, but I just feel like being different. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like being really different. I, oddly enough, guys, uh, I know a little bit about Tennessee Martin's philosophy. I went and heard their offensive coordinator at a clinic, and they definitely do preach ball control there. So um, that's not surprising whatsoever to me. Uh, what is a Skyhawk, Coach? That I don't know. I don't even think they know. I think they just thought it sounded cool. Perfect. 
speaking about big Josh, Josh, yeah. hold on, hold on, Josh. Quick, yeah. quick tangent. Does the Skyhawk yeah. fall into our big uh, nickname no-no of color plus animal equals bad mascot? Ooh, um... Because sky blue is a color. You know, it, it's they're definitely towing the line, but I'll give them bonus points for their logo being a bird wearing old-timey flight goggles. Okay, yeah, no, I, I'm with you there. Okay, good. All right, all right, all right. All right, uh, so this is not intentional that the Big Ten has back-to-back games and give and given so much love on this show just because I'm hosting, but we are going to the Illinois North Carolina game, another road favorite coming to a Big Ten team, uh, the Tar Heels, eight and a half point favorites. Uh, Coach, you saw them most last week against your Bulldogs. Do they cover that? I think they do. I think they win. I think they barely cover it, um, but I do think they do. Uh, You know, they have a good one-two punch at running back. TJ Logan is a guy that I didn't know a whole lot about coming into the game. But after the game, I knew plenty about them. I think they're very. I think they're much more dynamic than they were given credit for in our preseason preview. Uh, I, I think the quarterback position is in a lot better hands now that I saw. Uh, now that I saw it live in action, so you know North Carolina is a good football team, and and they do a lot of good things, and and, and they're dangerous, and and they're a team that can that can go on the road, especially that can go on the road and cover a big spread like this. So I, I, I like the Tar Heels. All right, coach. Um, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you here on this one. Uh, I'm, I'm take, I'll, I will grab those eight and a half points and I will take uh, Lovey Smith uh, because, you know, one thing we know that Lovey can do is coach D and you know, that, that one, two punch of Logan and Elijah hood is as good as it comes in, in the country. I think that Illinois is going to be able to uh, keep it close, especially with the West line at quarterback. Um, you know, I, I, he, he's one of the better signal callers in the Big Ten, and I still like North Carolina to win, but I've got Illinois to cover. Oh. Interesting. Well, I had over on my blog, which I have not done a shameless promotion for yet this show, so we've covered that. I actually had Illinois destroying Murray State. I picked them to win 42 nothing in my blog and then come back and still lose this game 28-17. And – it kind of feels like the same thing. I, I think Illinois will be competitive for a while, but eventually that two-headed monster in the backfield for the Tar Heels grinds things down. So uh, moving on to an interesting one that, uh, Matt, you really wanted to talk about, so we'll let you kick things off, and that is South Florida Bulls greatly improved hosting Northern Illinois one of the Mac powers, they lost a heartbreaker out in Laramie in overtime to the Pokes. Uh, the Bulls are a two-touchdown favorite against a always pesky Husky team. They are a two-touchdown favorite, and I feel like that number is right on the nose for this game. Northern Illinois is, uh, you know, that loss at Wyoming was so disheartening for Husky fans. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that they're going to be ready to bounce back uh, heading down to play the Bulls. And I think this Bulls team, you know, we, you know, we all thought they were going to be pretty strong in the AAC. And, you know, and so what I'm, you know, I'm just basing this on AAC, stronger conference than the MAC, and South Florida, one of the stronger teams in the AAC. I'll take South Florida to win and cover. 
All right. Well, I'm going to take. Uh, I'm going to do something odd since there's no, since there's no half point there to, to cause me to cover or not cover. Um, I'm going to take the push here. I'm going to take South Florida by two touchdowns because North, because of the problems that Northern Illinois can uh, provide um, with them being so pesky. Um, but I do think you know South Florida is a team that you know is is poised to win the the American, and so I like them. I like them to win, and I like and I'm going to like this game as a push. Interesting, interesting. I like Might that. As well start calling you Coach. Start calling you Coach Wilbon there. Yeah, no, that's that's a good strategy. I kind of like that. So my thing with Northern Illinois was I was really waiting to see if Drew Hare was healthy from that. Achilles injury, those things can take forever to come back from. And he was pretty crisp. 329 passing yards, three touchdowns. I think Northern Illinois gets their defensive issues in order. I know the Pokes did pretty well against them, but they're a well-coached team. Uh, Their coach, Craig Bull, obviously won three national titles at North Dakota State. I don't know if Northern has enough in the tank to win this game, I'm going to say they cover. So all three okay. possible opinions come to fruition okay. that one. And we're going to wrap it up with our favorite line. Regrettably, they didn't have one a week ago, but we finally get to do it. And that is our good friends over there in Lawrence, Kansas, the Jayhawks. They are two-and-a-half-point favorites against the Ohio Bobcats coach, of course, by fighting Frank Solich. Coach... The Jayhawks win this one to go two and zero. Yes, I think they do. Uh, they're somehow on a roll. I don't know how they scored what fifty five points a week ago. Um, I like them to win and to cover this by a touchdown. Ooh, coach, that's a that's a pretty bold prediction. Um, I think that I think the Jayhawk team is still hung over from rushing the field after beating Rhode Island. So uh, I am going to take I'm going to take the Fighting Soliches, and I'm I'm going to take them to cover. You know, I, I think that these teams uh, on paper are pretty evenly matched, and so uh, when it comes to that, I will uh, I look at the head coaching matchup and uh, give me Solich all day. So you have them covering. Well, I will take it one step forward and say, yeah, I mean, the most, they're, they're gonna they're gonna yeah, win. The Bobcats yeah. are gonna win this game. I was gonna say the most Kansas thing possible would be to lose to an Ohio team that I think is pretty upset. They lost a game that they should not have lost at home a week ago to Texas State, fifty six fifty four. I think Solich, old school coach, old school guy gave them a pretty hard week of practice. They're going to be excited to take on the worst team in the Big 12. So there we have it. We have two people saying Kansas cannot keep it going, whereas the coach showing some faith. Uh, That is our week two preview. Hopefully I did not upset all of our listeners by hosting a show for once, but we did it out of a contingency in case professor's phone died, but – For the professor out there in Montana, this is Josh. And for the coach down there in Tennessee, happy birthday yet again. Enjoy this week of action in football there, Illegal Motion fans. Oh, Happy birthday, coach. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. 
To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.